Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, it's Tom here. Uh, just a reminder, the Pack Your Knives is part of the Count the Dings network. If you're following the Black Lives Matter movement closely, definitely check out Bomb, the Black Culture podcast on Count the Dings with a new show called Wednesday Service from recurring guest now host Naima. Search B-O-M-M wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And also definitely check out the Count the Dings podcast feed where you'll find our bad movie show called Cinephobe, The Dad Pod, which I'm on weekly, and Friday Mailbag, something for everyone. And also, if you want to support Count the Dings, you can definitely do that at patreon.com slash count the dings. Join the hundreds and hundreds of people who are Patreons there, patreon.com slash count the dings. All right. uh, Something for everyone. Uh, Now it's time to eat. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, we've been looking forward to this episode for years. We've wanted to get into the guts of the show, the people who really are doing it from behind the scenes. You don't see them on camera, but they are the brain trust, the inspiration, the people who make the trains run on time. Um, We have... Tara Siener from Magical Elves. She is executive producer of Magical Elves. These are the people responsible for developing the show and bringing you the show every week. Um, Tara, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you guys? Doing excellent. We're great. We're great. Deneen, how are you? Great. Oh, man. We we have been just flabbergasted with how good Top Chef Season 17 was and how great – the contestants were Melissa King in my book is the goat, the greatest of all time ever on Top Chef. But before we get into all that, Top Top Chef Season 17 All-Stars, we will get there. But Deneen, as the executive producer who has been since episode or I guess season one, since 2006, you've been working on the show, moving up the ladder from a PA all the way to a showrunner. Uh, I got to ask you, Deneen, how did you – how did you become a part of Top Chef and who is the person who came up with the idea of Top Chef that you know of? Well, I believe that from my understanding for Top Chef, it was that after the first season of Project Runway had finished airing and did well, that Bravo requested that Magical Elves do a cooking version of Project Runway. So the idea came from Bravo and then Magical Elves, Dan Cutforth and Jane Lipsitz um, created what, you know, Top Chef would be along with Shauna Minoprio, who was the first season showrunner. Uh, this is very gracious of you because I, I thought the ironclad rule of Hollywood is never give the network credit. Um, <laughs> as the producers, you're always supposed to take the credit and vice yeah. versa, right? Like the network takes all the credit and the producers were just sort of these hired guns. No. Um, so, so that's the origin story of, of, of the show. It was, hey, let's do Project Runway for food. Let's get really capable people who already know how to do a professional competition show or a competition show based around an, an art or a craft or a skill. And, um, and it, it clearly worked. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And I luckily – so the reason that I got on the show, how I got on the show um, – Actually, so we shot it in 2005, and I had graduated college the previous spring and moved to Los Angeles, met up with some college alumni who were kind enough to, you know, tell me, send me your resume, I'll try and help you get a PA job, you know, on a show. And they send my resume out to some friends and stuff, and it happened to get passed to an AP who was on the first season of Top Chef. And that got me an interview with the production management team and they ended up hiring me. And that was my first job in Los Angeles, actually. That's amazing. Like now you're almost pushing 40 and like, that's how long the show has been on. It's incredible. 
like 15 years. Like you can go from being basically a 22 year old to someone almost 40 and, and over the duration of the show. And and I mean, are we correct in the sense that and, and granted we are biased because we are mega fans. I mean, the show can exist in perpetuity, right? I think so. Yeah. As long as as long as the judges want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Deneen, so we've been keeping this under wraps for a while, but it's time to alert our fans. We have a big announcement here. Oh, Kevin, okay. we are going to do a Top Chef Season 6 rewatch on Pack Your Knives. So we are going to do exactly what we did for Top Chef Season 17, 16, and 15 and we're going to rewatch every episode of season six, which is Las Vegas, which Tom Colicchio uh, refers to as the best season ever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our fans believe it's the best season ever. It's also got Brian Voltaggio. It's got Kevin Gillespie and Jen Carroll from this season. So I wanted to ask, um, and Tara, you've, you've come on just a little bit later after season six, but um, I want to hear it from you too, is what makes those characters or that season so special, Deneen? And why do you th- – did you know working on season six, Vegas, that this was going to be so special? I would say it felt like that when we were shooting it, yes. Um, I think it had a lot to do with the talent of the chefs and that there were – I mean, it just seemed like, you know, anybody could have won in a large you – know, like a really large group of the chefs were extremely talented, even people who went out very early – um, they came in with a lot of cred and a lot of skill, but then also pair that with being in Las Vegas where we have access to casinos who can get us access to, you know, some of the world's best chefs and, you know, just a variety of different challenges. I think it was a lot of fun and it was the first time we had ever done an elimination quick fire. You know, we were playing around with the format a little bit for the first time in that season, we had high stakes quick fires, so there was like large cash prizes available. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, the show was obviously it's character based. The format that you just referred to is in many ways it's genius, um, and the fact that you can do a new season with a new cast, have the same general format, uh, it, it speaks to sort of the, the endurance of the show. What is the most common way quick fires and elimination challenges get green? Like, like I'm interested, does this sort of, is there a writer's room like there would be on a drama or a sitcom yeah. where it's like, okay, we got 16 weeks. That means 14 quick fire challenges. Or do you get presented first with a series of venues? Like we need to work in Rupp arena and the Kentucky Derby. Like how mm-hmm. does I me mean, just starting from nothing, like how does a season of challenges and elimination challenges and venues just get hatched? It was a combination of what you're talking about. Um, yeah, our writer's room, I guess you could say, is our challenge team. And so it's a, we have challenge producers. So in the beginning, it's myself, uh, my co-EP, and then um, three challenge producers and some associate producers. And we all um, spend a couple of weeks, you know, researching where we're going and, um, coming up with ideas and, you know, yeah, we obviously we're going to Kentucky. We have to do something with Churchill Downs. You know, we're going, you know, I think a lot of things kind of just naturally present themselves because we're going to a new place. Um, and, but then also when we go and when we go to the city for the first time and we're scouting, 
you know, a lot of times we talk with, um, tourism to guide us where they think is exciting or new or interesting or off the beaten path, or, you know, also what is key, like we can't miss things. And, and it's just talking to people, talking to chefs, talking to locations and finding out what the locals feel, you know, is important about their city, but then also kind of keeping in mind still the top chef, you know, Mm. Um, you know, the show and, and what, what we like and what works. Tara, what is the secret to having a good challenge or the secret to having a good quick fire? What is your favorite one, whether it's recurring idea or concept, or what is one that, uh, just always seems to work? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, I can tell you from this past season, my favorite one to work on was the one where they were on the phone, uh, talking to their loved ones. Um, it's incredible. What a <laughs> yes! It, it was it was an, a it was a wonderful idea. Um, you know, ha- also working in uh, working in a sponsor too. Uh, it, just uh, all the all the pieces aligned. It was a very clever challenge. It was a very energetic challenge, and it also brought the chefs out of their shells. So for me, the best kind of challenge or the best kind of quick fire is one where the chefs are just innately in it. And they're, they're either struggling or they're having a great time. They're having great communication with whoever's around them, whether it's on the phone or whether it's with the chefs around them. But, you know, to really make the challenge interesting uh, and, and I think for the viewer, it's got to itself become dynamic. And, you know, I think the challenge team over the years has really done a great way of, if it's the same structure, at least making it a little different where you're still you know, the chefs are still on their toes and they're still needing to do that extra bit to, to make their dishes better stand out, stuff like that. So, so those for me are always energetic and dynamic. Yeah. Deneen, I think one of the things that I love, the quick fires that I love is the kind of like that game of telephone. I can't remember when it was, Mm -hmm. but almost like you're blindfolded Working the in teams. Team. Yeah, the tag That's team. Where actually, you have to- the first time we did that was in Las Vegas. So you'll see that in your season six rewatch. Oh, yes. That was like my favorite thing. It's just because you had to collaborate, but almost like be inventive. There was a game of telephone involved. I, I love those sort of ones. The the, the, the telephone one that, that Tara mentioned, like that, that one. I just love that. Yeah, that was fun. And so that is also, you know, obviously um, a, a fun part of the show too. Like even if um, – like even if there is a sponsored or branded challenge, we can still have a lot of fun with it, you know? And I think that's a great example. I think that in Seattle season, the first time we wrapped the entire pantry in foil for Reynolds wrap was a lot of fun. Um, you know, like you can kind of just have fun with those things. And I think that's, what's fun about the quick fires in general is yes, sometimes there's immunity for at stake. And so that's important, but also you can just have a lot more fun because especially if it's not, you know, uh, elimination quick fire. Nobody's going home from it. So, um, is there, is there a quick fire that fell flat that you were, you thought was a great idea, but in reality did not work? Mm, oh, you know what? Um, I, I thought it would be a lot more fun, but I think it went a lot quicker than we expected it to. Um, last or in Kentucky was the, um, Fort Knox, uh, bouillon challenge. Um, <laughs> you know, we're just having a little fun with that one. And, uh, the clues were, um, maybe a little too easy for them. <laughs> you know, we tested on a few people to see who could answer them and it took other people a lot longer. So I don't know, it's hard, but we you know, it's, a, it's, it's always a, it's always a, a gamble, I guess, when you try something like that. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I was, I was, I want to ask you about Restaurant Wars because I don't know that there's a, there's a particular stunt on any competition reality show that it is more defined. the show itself that it, that is more synonymous with the mm-hmm. show. I mean, you guys, see, we see it like when, she, when Padma invariably announces it and like the chefs go crazy, right? Like, cause it's just, it, it's like why you, t- it's the Super Bowl in, in many ways, obviously the, the finale is the Super Bowl, but it's really, it, it's maybe the all-star game. Yeah. It it's is, the all-star it is, game. It's kind of the it's midway the all-star game. Like, yeah, it's like, I'm sitting around hope. Uh, when are we going to get to eight? When are we going to get to eight? When are we going to get to eight? Because it, I, I mean, so the origin of that, I mean, that actually in, in some ways is not like this, I mean, it's not this creative, brilliant idea. It's obvious, like, hey, the restaurants are the very bedrock of, of what this industry does. But I'm just curious, sort of, like, it, it just is such a hit. Like, it is it, every even people who don't watch the show know Restaurant Wars. Like, all you have mm-hmm. to say, and everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Well, how did that start? So, how did, was it? Um, was it like, hey, we got to do it in episode two? No, we got to do it later at episode eight. Was it just the logistics of making sure you had two teams? Um, how do you make sure it's not too gimmicky? Because uh, I know we we had Kevin Gillespie on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, I mm-hmm. hate restaurant wars. Yeah, because it's just how do you open a restaurant in twenty four hours? It's ridiculous. It does. It's, it removes the integrity of the whole restaurant opening business, and and kind of you know, makes a mockery of that idea because you can't do it in 24 hours, yeah. but it's fans love restaurant wars. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting because I actually think that restaurant wars spawned the pop-up industry in a way. Um, you know, people mm. were not doing pop-up restaurants like they were before top chef was doing them, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that the show started out thinking that restaurant wars was going to be like this thing that we we're always going to do. Um, but because it was so popular, definitely felt like we had to keep it. Um, and yeah, it's always just, and yes, it's ridiculous, but you know, it's a competition show and a lot of the challenges are, you know, pushing you to your limits for sure. And that's part of it. Um, but it is always interesting to see who can shine in that situation. And, um, you know, it's interesting because it's never our intention for them to fail. It really isn't. And I know people don't believe that. Wait, wait, but, wait. Um, Cooking outside in Denver in the snow, that wasn't <laughs> – sleeping wasn't, in three feet snowing. of snow? It wasn't supposed to snow. It actually was hot out. <laughs> it was hot out the week before and there was a crazy snowstorm that came through um, like – literally the day before we went to shoot there. So that wasn't the plan. That was mother nature. <laughs> and look how well Carrie did. Carrie excelled. All right. Like, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but you're yeah. telling me electricity <laughs> cut on a party boat is just it something that did. happened in the course it of like life. Happened. And we, you would not even believe we sent out texts to go help, um, you know, we had the houseboat text go out and working on it and they couldn't figure out. And you know what, you know what fixed it? Our culinary producer folded a LaCroix box of water and propped it underneath some motor that got everything back up and running. I swear to God. It was like, and it took hours to figure out, but that's what happened. <laughs> like, I don't want to be a top chef truther, but I'm sorry. Some of these, eh, like these sand traps are pretty deep. Um, yeah. it, it, uh, anyway, I, uh, <laughs> It's funny. So I'm sure you guys and, and like you've heard my maybe my little rant about Restaurant Wars. I just think Restaurant Wars is yeah. so pure. Like, I, I mean, 
you know, I'm just the armchair quarterback. I'm the know-it-all. But, like, I, I mean, I don't think you got to screw with it. I don't think you need 12. I don't think you got to, like, declare the restaurant in advance. I kind of miss the sort of ego jockeying this season where, mm-hmm. you know, there are four people sitting around a legal pad and it's like, no, 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 let's do this. Let's do this. Because, um, But I, I think Restaurant Wars is so pure in its brilliance that, that uh, you know, I, I will put in my request – or not my request, my, my, my show note <laughs> – that I don't think you got to do anything to it. Yeah. All right, yeah. there's my piece. I hear you. <laughs> um, what do you guys look for in a contestant? Casting this show obviously has to be, I mean, it, it, along with the structure we talked about, the, the challenges, I mean, casting the show is crucial. Like if you have mm-hmm. boring people, it's going to be less interesting. Um, I imagine you have to obviously account for talent, but sometimes I'm sure the best chef in the kitchen might not be the best contestant and vice versa. Yeah. And how do we get Kevin Arnovitz to be a, a chef testing? Oh, God. No, I'm not there yet. Give me another two years. Then maybe master chef. Yes. <laughs> um, Home chef. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's definitely a range of things. You know, we, uh, we definitely do rely a lot on talking with past contestants, past guest judges, reaching out to people for recommendations because we want people who – others in the industry vouch for. I think that, you know, if, if, um, they're known in their city or they're getting write-ups in food and wine or, you know, that kind of thing is important. Uh, the casting team does an amazing job. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know where you found these people, but they're amazing and, uh, can't wait to see them. Um, but definitely talent personality does play into it. But not always, because we've had some we've had some people who are not super, you know, a plus personalities, but they're just lovely people, and that's fine. Um, you know, so it's just finding the balance and the mixture, and you know, diversity in their cuisines. Uh, that also is important because you don't want you know everybody cooking the same thing always. Um, yeah. Do you have a innate inherent desire to have a heel on the show uh not a heel no i would say a comedic relief perhaps okay um you know like i think um i think there it's always nice to have somebody who can bring some levity to like a stefan for example a stefan i think um you know a katsuji Katsuji, he maybe was an instigator, but he was funny, you know. Um, and I mean, Stephanie was so fun to watch this season. I thought she was hilarious in interview. She's amazing. Um, and even some people seat, also, you know. Yeah, I was going to say. I think some people even surprise us too. You know, yeah. as as the season begins, and you know, for us in post. We start learning who all these people are. We kind of watch their early interviews to see, get a vibe of all right, who do we anticipate these guys kind of evolving into? And then like Fatima, no idea she was going to be the absolute funny, dry delight that she turned into. I mean, you know, she was definitely entertaining and she had Mm -hmm. some high points, but man, she, when she really got comfortable in the interview, she was the go-to for that levity, for that comedic moment. Um, And that's just an instance where we weren't expecting it. Yeah. You know, this season was interesting because 
I think a, a viewer often wants a little conflict, you know, throwing someone under the bus, which has now become such a parlance of the judge's table, uh, you know, chopping block, because I mean, rarely do you go through a season where some throw someone isn't throwing someone under the bus or Marky. accused of throwing Sorry. someone under the bus. Sorry. But, you know, this season was devoid of a lot of conflict. I don't think it took away from the quality of the season at all. It might just be the sheer talent of the chefs and their likability. But I mean, I, I imagine like in, in any reality show, it, it is nice to have a little conflict. Like it is, look, we all love mm-hmm. a good mano a mano or this person, like little personality conflicts. I mean, Kevin gave us a little bit of that when they were picking out China for restaurant wars. But I, I have to imagine that's something you don't want to be egregious or, or gratuitous about it, but you kind of want a teeny bit of conflict. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt. Um, I think, I think on top chef, it's more about, um, the comp, like the competitive nature of chefs where the conflict can come out of wanting to be the best, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely been moments, but I also think some of those things can tend to get cringy and I don't, you know, I don't know how far you want to take it sometimes. Yeah, if it doesn't seem organic, it's just yeah. – as a viewer, you feel like you're being manipulated. Yeah. Um, so uh, I briefly worked on a reality show as a writer um, for Showtime back in 2004. What was it called? And it was called American Candidate. It was like seven regular people run for president. It was the election year. And I mean it was semi-successful. I mean I think – I'll tell you one of the reasons I appreciate Top Chef so much is just – Hey, we were doing okay. We had good weeks and bad weeks, but you guys are just like this machine. Um, but one of the things I got familiar with the lexicon and how contestants are sequestered. Mm-hmm. One of the things I want to know with you guys is the, and I don't know if you guys call it pre-cap, mid-cap, recap the way we did, but the ability to get chef interviews that seem like they are offered in the middle of the challenge, like mm-hmm. you'll be, we'll be in the middle of the cook. And all of a sudden, there's Melissa saying, all right, I've got all my ingredients here. But then the oven, you know, whatever it is. Um, when are, are are you doing those mid-cap? Are you grabbing contestants in the middle of the challenge to give a play-by-play? Or are those recaps disguised as mid-caps? In other words, you get them after the fact to sort of walk you through it in present tense. Yeah, it's, it's after the fact because, I mean, some of these challenges are only 20 minutes. You know, we would never have time to actually get that. Um, and yeah, so yeah it's, and, usually, you know, it's usually like the day after it's not, it's not like long after it's just, you know, yeah, yeah, I imagine, try to keep it fresh in their mind. I'd imagine continuity is a huge part of that is we have to keep like hairstyles, outfits and how, how big does continuity play into the confessionals to make it feel like it's a mid cap. Yeah, I think Stephanie it's might have mentioned huge. this on her interview that they had two interview <laughs> outfits and uh, had to wear the same hairstyle. Um, you know, and that is that is true. That's easy for Kevin and I, right, Kevin? Yeah, I, we have no hair, we have no style. <laughs> so there you go. Um, uh, what is all right, the biggest crisis? And let's set aside COVID, which is its own, I'm sure, real challenge for you guys, both of the industry. It's been, I mean, particularly hard hit, uh, for restaurateurs and chefs, but biggest crisis top chef has ever encountered kind of mid season. Uh, you know, Tom brought up the hazing of Marcel. I'm just curious, like, like mm-hmm. when did the shit truly hit the fan in, in 17 seasons? What, what was the biggest incident? Oh, I have to think about that. Um, I mean, that definitely was a big deal. Um, 
you want to recap it for our, our listeners at dawns on me that not everyone might, like not everybody's a complete junkie yeah i mean unfortunately that was a uh it was you know it was after a great challenge they were in a good mood and i don't know they uh decided one night they were all going to shave their heads. Um, but then they decided because that they were going, well, and Elliot did shave her head. Um, and, but then they took it too far and tried to, um, force Marcel to shave his. So it turns into Um, Lord of the Flies basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hello listener. Guess who's back. It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about butcher box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. So other did, location <laughs> snafus, like other, like, oh, you guys? Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. I, yes. Um, I, this, <laughs> I'll tell you one. We, we had a... Um, we, I've literally had a challenge where, you know, we've scouted this kitchen, uh, the, the culinary team was there and the, and then we arrive on the day and we're about to send the chefs in to start cooking and find out that the kitchen's not functional. Oh. <laughs> and what do you we do? had to hold and figure out, um, figure out how to, uh, make it work. We were going to change locations, but, um, our rock star culinary producer figured it out, made it work, got some equipment in there that did work and nobody, it, it looked like a normal functioning kitchen. Nobody noticed on camera. It worked out, but it took a couple hours <laughs> to figure it out. Um, yeah. Besides the Colorado snowstorm. That one was amazing. Besides, yeah, that one was that one was crazy. Uh, Tard, I mean, it, I, you know what? Actually, and um, this is—I'll never forget this because it was my challenge when I was an AP third season. Um, we went to Aspen for the finale, and uh, we had a quick fire that was supposed to be on the frying pan river. Eric Repair was there, and they were doing a trout um, challenge, and I we had this beautiful location right along the river and I went that morning before everybody got there to go 
get set and ready to receive people. And there had been a mudslide and the river was the color of like terracotta mud, disgusting. <laughs> and I was like, nobody's going to want to eat fish out of this river. It looked like they're eating fish out of this river. Um, so we had to like completely find a new location on the spot. And it just so happened one of our lighting guys had been fly fishing on the property that we were using for another challenge. He's like, I was way back deep in there. There's some grassy area. We can just like trample it down. It's by the water. It'll look great. <laughs> we, uh-huh. Everybody flipped their cars around. We went to this place. We like looked at a couple of spots, but then ended up going there. It was crazy. Has there ever been a contestant mutiny? Like where everyone just collectively said, we're not doing that. Like, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. That, that speaks well of your governance. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, they ask questions and stuff for sure. Um, but no, nobody's ever said not doing that what, that I can think of like as a whole. No. When we were uh, at Restaurant Wars Kentucky, um, we were kind of taken behind the scenes. Becca, you know, chauffeured us around and, and gave us kind of the the behind the scenes tour of the set. How – the thing that – jumped off to me was the fact that um, I saw the chefs, but mm-hmm. everyone was like, oh, so did you know that so-and-so like got really far in the competition? I'm like, I didn't know who any of these chefs were. So there's no yeah. way I could remember who like Eric, Eric Ajapong was like right. in the moment. So I never really remembered any of the chefs and it just, it just smacked of there's such a big difference to when the show is running to what it is, what it, turns into at the end how often are the chefs um interacting with the production team or are there certain elements of the the behind the scenes show that they will never meet in the you know the entire season the shoot of the show but are absolutely essential to making the show work i would say they rarely ever see me to be honest um i i don't really interact with them on a day-to-day basis i try to keep separate um and, uh, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of people that they don't necessarily interface, but they do see a lot of the same people, um, day in and day out. I mean, all crew for sure. They're around, uh, like camera operators, audio mixers, all that stuff. There's producers that are on the floor with them. Um, and, and, and they see a lot of the challenge producers when it's time for, um, you know, they have time where they can like pick plates and, you know, ask questions about the challenge and, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, they see a lot of people, but, um, there definitely are people that they, and there's, you know, there's a whole production side that's handling just, you know, getting people from point A to point B, the coordinators and transpo and all that stuff that they probably never will deal with on, uh, you know, face to face. This, this is kind of, a tangent here, but I'm curious, how do you find challenge producers? Is there like a, a, a college program that just has a, a great uh, farm <laughs> of challenge no. producers? Like where do you find people to come up with these crazy ideas? Uh, you know, they have, it's interesting because um, I think it's just, there's, there's a couple kind of producers and it's the people who are creative and who are strong with logistics who excel in challenge producing. Um, because, you know, they're having to talk to locations and get and lock in like a lot of details around the challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're also, like I said, the ones helping to come up with the challenges. Um, and it tends to be people who are interested in 
you know, they might've been, uh, in college or, um, had dreams of doing, you know, scripted television or something, um, might've been wanting to be in writing or that sort of thing. So, uh, definitely have a creative mind. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of finding out where people fall. And it usually like, that's what we have associate producer level. You're kind of in this, you know, you're like the assistant to your challenge producer sort of thing. So it's easy to tell once you've done it, like, are you good at that? Is that something you even want to continue pursuing or is there a different alley that I want to go down? Yeah. We pitched Tom a challenge because I mean, I think, I you know, our, oh. yeah, our, 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 all right. So it's like, we, we didn't get an answer we wanted from dad. So we'll go to mom for some advice here. Like, <laughs> you know, we're sports writers. We spend a lot of time in media rooms. There's always this uh, at, at basketball arenas, NBA arenas, and there's mm-hmm. always this generally crappy media meal. Right. And it can always be better, but they're not going to spend a lot of money on yeah. journalists. Right. And, and we thought it was sort of like, Hey, today contestants, you're going, and probably even a quick fire, maybe like mm-hmm. you're going to prepare, you know, a pregame dinner for these 12 hungry sports writers. Uh, there are a couple of parameters like sports writers. We can't have food that's too messy, but most of them are meat and potatoes people, but you don't want it too heavy because then you've got food coma while you have to write on deadline. And Tom was like, what's the challenge? What's the challenge? Like, I thought that is a challenge, right? So how would we modify this pitch? How do we make it work? Like, like how would we make it up to the quality of top? I mean, clearly we are not challenge producers. This is not what we do well. Um, what would be the parameters of you're going to feed 15 to 20 hungry sports writers? Well, I wouldn't do it before the game because I don't think that's that interesting. <laughs> I would make I would probably probably make it something that has to be handheld that you can do while you're writing with your free hand. You oh, can eat. Wow. Okay, so that's interesting. Kevin, See, no, that's is, a thing. That's that's, that's you a know, thing. Totally a thing. I get it, it, my, on press row. Like what? Like yeah, because you have your computer there and you're on press row, and then like there's dinner. Yeah. Okay, Ooh. so that's all right. That's a new wrinkle. Okay. Tom, we'll keep refining this. We, 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 this is still, this is still like, like I don't know that I have a professional objective. I mean, I want to write a book at some point, but like this is kind of number two, <laughs> <laughs> like to actually sell this idea to Top Chef and get to be a guest judge. Um, what, what's but, something uh, that our show has gotten wrong besides that? What's something that Pack Your Knives? If you've listened to the show, we talk about a lot. Um, I'm going to just say it. Yeah. The review – I thought the Zapruder film that Stephanie was going to win Top Chef because of the way Padma says, you are a Top Chef. You guys must have been giggling at that. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I credit Tara with that 100%. Although I will tell you, I did learn from listening to podcasts a few years ago that people were like, I know who's going to win because I see Padma's eyeline. So we've been very particular about not showing her when she says it. Oh, um, yeah. Because they're like, they can figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Because my part, yeah, because my partner Eric actually was a modification of Tom's. She's, uh, he said, Eric was like, I think a woman wins. I'm like, why do you, why, how can you possibly know? It's like, there's just this like go girl power thing about the way Padma says you are a top chef. And, you know, Eric, he subscribed to that all season long. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm not buying it. And I have no idea. I mean, obviously it's a one in two chance. So it's not like he's clairvoyant, but it was just very fun in my house. It was just like, that was the conspiracy theory. You could just tell by the way she says it, it's a woman. And I was like, okay, I mean, maybe. Yeah. We have to be so careful. Uh, we, we love putting like little Easter eggs in that kind of, we know what happens at the end that, you know, we get little joys out of as we watch it. And it's like, Oh, I wonder if anyone's going to remember this at the end. But 
um, you know, because, because we have listened to the podcast, because we do know what people are paying attention to. And if there are trends or whatever, we're, we're really, really cautious with teases, especially, um, and, you know, we, we tried to change it up. We tried to have Tom, you know, Tom's version of it, which is, you know, one of you is going to be top chef. It still is exciting. Um, but you know, it also takes out the danger of, all right, who's going to, you know, use, uh, trigonometry to figure out who's in the eye line. Uh, but it's happened and people get really mad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you is know, like a team of people that work on that. The intention. The trigonometry, yes, because math is not good for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we we pull throughout the season all the moments we think are big and fun and we'll make a great tease and we want people to see and remember and things that are really quintessential moments for our important chefs that are getting to the final five, final three. Um, but yeah, the, those last moments really are, you know, as a team, we, we scrutinize. And then once everything is, you know, gone through the final polish where everything is up and we can see all the crystal clear moments, then we look at it again to make sure there's nothing that we're giving away. Mm. Um, it's, it, it, it is a big process. I've got a I've got a thing that you guys conspiracy theorized that is definitely not a conspiracy. <laughs> Even the chefs thought it was conspiracy, so I know they won't believe me. But <laughs> last chance kitchen, the winner of the three person cook off at the end. Yes, it would have been a two person finale if Kevin didn't get back in. We had a plan in place. Like it was definitely not planned. It was not. I mean, like it was not um, predetermined. You know, it was a hundred percent how Kevin performed. And if he didn't make it back in, we would have just had two people competing in the finale. That's why there um, were three this year. So question, we love last chance kitchen. You yeah. know, it, when it first got released, I'm like, Oh, this is kind of gimmicky. Everyone's doing the, Hey, we need a digital element. And then, I mean, there are weeks where I, I've gotten to the point now where the minute the, sh- the episode's over, I'm going right to my Apple yeah. TV to get that. app. I up. Like I love last chance kitchen. Is it the same production crew? Um, is it, do you guys treat it as sort of part of the show as a whole, or do you have an entirely different LCK kind of uh, challenge? It's developers? both. There's, okay. um, it's actually, it's an opportunity for people who aren't necessarily running their departments to, um, kind of run a smaller version. So it's like people who are under the department heads are kind of running, um, last chance kitchen, which is fun. So it's a lot of, um, a lot of people get to kind of flex their muscle there and, mm. um, I'm, I'm running it, but we do have a, another producer who is not um, a part of the the main show challenge team who has to basically come to all the challenges and know what's going on. And, you know, then immediately we were pitching ideas like, OK, this is why they're eliminated. What can we do? You know, kind of figure it out quickly. Yeah, it's kind of like the G League, Kevin, I'd imagine if you have like these young up and coming executives or coaches, you kind of put them in the last chance kitchen and, and let them blossom over there. I'd imagine. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of fun. And Tom has, Tom has so much fun in, in last chance kitchen that that's what makes it fun. I think. Yeah. He, he lights up like you could tell that he loves that, um, that show. So one of the, one of the reasons why top chef works is because you have Padma, Tom and Gail. Mm-hmm. And I always wonder, um, it, can you guys script how, or can you guys predict how certain chefs 
or judges are going to react to certain dishes or like is it does Tom have a tell does Padma have a tell does Gail have a tell have you had to coach them about hey when you eat that dish you can't do x you can't do that eye roll you can't do that thing um anymore because it's a tell like do you have to coach coach up the judges a little bit um no I think they're pretty good about keeping it close to the vest I mean I think I can tell sometimes with you know with a look or something but that's but that's good. So, and sometimes you want to use it and sometimes you don't. And that's where Tara comes in and she mm-hmm. gets to kind of pick and choose what makes the most sense in terms of keeping it, you know, not obvious if, or if you want it to be obvious, you know? Um, like so, Tom does this, like he's chewing on something and just says, mm, thanks chef. And he like has his like eyes kind of down yeah. and he's just like, like he does want- that on purpose sometimes to throw you off. Oh. So sometimes he does that, but he actually loves it. And then sometimes I will think like, oh, he hated that. But then I'll t- and then he'll immediately be like, that was amazing. So he <laughs> he kind of tries to he tries to play around with people. <laughs> yeah, Tara, what what are the biggest then, tells? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say. I mean, uh, then then when Tom is doing that, it becomes challenging for us because then we've <laughs> got you know the note of like. But it doesn't look like Tom liked it. Can we make him look like he liked it? And it's like, well, no, because he didn't. He didn't make that expression. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so we just don't show him necessarily in that moment. And then we cut to him saying how much he liked it. If you really need all of that to jive, um, I think the Tom eye roll has become uh, a thing of legends. You know, mm. everyone seems to love to talk about the eye roll. Um, he does a great eye roll. Uh, it's just not always present. So, you know, it, it really does become, uh, a really fine, uh, calibration that we do to make sure that we're leading the viewers to the right place without giving it too much away. So we want, you know, we want you guys to know who did well, who the judges are really liking with just enough, maybe this person's the winner. Oh, I could see why this other person might win. Uh, just enough, you know, give and take, but it really does, uh, it, it, it does take a lot of effort to make sure we're using the best reactions, the best, um, the best adjectives. You know, you guys have talked about this quite a bit. Food TV is something you cannot actively enjoy mm. eating the dish at home. Yeah. So you're relying on them to explain it to you. So we're also trying to, besides telling you who's doing well, who isn't doing well, put in the right adjectives so you get what they're enjoying Tara, about that reminds it or what me, they're not enjoying. That reminds me, Tara, it, when we went to Restaurant Wars, we got to see kind of, I don't know whether, whether it was Deneen, you or someone else was talking to Padma in her ear, kind of like, hey, mm-hmm. with little prompts of like, hey, ask, um, ask this judge what they thought about the soup. Um, just to kind of get some more conversation. So there is yeah. a bit of that where you're, you're like, Hey, this, the conversation really isn't popping on at the, ju- at the table, um, in restaurant wars. So let's get Padma to, to ask them certain questions. So there is a little element of like, Hey, we need more of this, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily scripted, but trying to get yeah. more conversation. Yes. Yeah. I think sure. a lot of things. And pa- it- okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Go on, Donnie. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, um, that direction is definitely like, you know, a lot of times we like to let them have a normal, natural conversation because that's where you get the best comments. Um, but you know, if people are talking over each other, you know, I'll have to tell Padma, I'd be like, if you remind the table, one person talking at a time, you know, take your turn kind of thing, or, 
yeah, like we did, you guys didn't touch, talk enough about this element or this dish. So can you go back and talk about, make sure that everybody speaks about this dish, you know, cause when you're eating five things at once, it's easy to kind of gloss over one and not pay enough attention to it. So that's kind of why, you know, um, yeah, yeah. And to that, to that end too, I would say Padma is an amazing, she's so good at her job. You, it, a lot of it is so natural for her to make sure the conversation is flowing and it feels natural. Um, there's a couple moments too, where if, you know, we know that there's a story with, um, John's soup, uh, and, you know, we want to make sure that the judges talk about the soup enough where if, if there's something that we're following that potentially could be disastrous for him, um, you know, it's, it's asking the question, what do you think of the soup to see if anyone is noticing it? If no one else is noticing it, then it, you know, the story beat really doesn't go anywhere, which is fine. But, you know, it's also asking the question of, is someone going to notice it? Is this going to be the thing that's going to send him home? Mm. In my house, we—it's not exactly a conspiracy theory, but it, it, it's not really—it's something between a conspiracy theory and a drinking game. But Eric and I aren't happy until there's a cutaway to a couple of gays eating at one of the challenges. Like we insist this is a Bravo thing. This is clear because in, invariably it happens, and, and Eric and I look at each other. Oh, excellent, the gays are back. Like, they, like there's death taxes and Top Chef cutting to a bunch of uh, two gays at a table commenting on food. Anyway, just kind of a thing that we have. It's one of our kind of cult items. It's uh, and it, there may be truth or non-truth to it, but it's just something we're we're convinced of. <laughs> Well, um, we are a very inclusive show. We want to make sure everyone (laughs) feels represented. Um, and, and, and gays are delightful television. We are good television and we're, we're kind of, and we're the right combination of kind of, you know, really emotive about it and, 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 uh, sufficiently bitchy if we have a critique. Yeah. I think Eric, Eric didn't even watch the show. And when he went to restaurant wars, he was by far everyone's favorite person there. Like when he was at the table. Right. The, the joke <laughs> is, is y'all were so kind to invite us to the Lexington restaurant wars. And we sit down. Tom's there with his wife. I'm there with Eric. Just so you know, Eric does not own salt or a spatula. Um, <laughs> he's a wonderful dining partner. But but I would say that maybe his his knowledge of food, the, the kind of the anatomy of food isn't there. And sure enough, like the one clip you got of our table is Eric saying like the crudo, eh, you know, like whatever it is. <laughs> Like here he is critiquing Eddie, this wonderful chef at Laurel in Philadelphia. And we just got like, that's always been a punchline for us is like, there's Eric just, you know, kind of offering kind of a, 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 a some shade to the, to the crudo. Um, but yeah, that, by the way, that was, we truly had, I mean, Tom and I have been to NBA finals. We have been to all-star games. We have been in the locker rooms of champions. I don't know that we ever had more fun than flying to Lex or to Louisville in Lexington and getting to be part of restaurant wars. Like that is the sticker on my suitcase. I admire most. Is there, is there, um, I know it's weird to talk about this in, in the COVID era, but is there a possibility of like, or do you do this already is buying tickets to a top chef event? Uh, we don't do that. Um, we do uh, sometimes do auctions for charity for tickets for Restaurant Wars. Okay. Um, but, yeah, no, we don't charge. Because I don't know if that's legal. I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess it would be. I don't know. I mean, why, why can't you – well, I guess you'd have to sign all sorts of paperwork anyway. It's just there's a yeah. lot of leaks that you got to make sure you, you, you plug up on that. But 
Um, sure. So uh, while we're talking, now that I mentioned it, how was producing this show uh, in a socially distant lockdown era? What was that like? Well, it it wasn't like that when we were shooting. <laughs> yeah. We were done shooting before it happened. So we got lucky. Um, but, you know, I don't know what the next season holds or bring, will bring because that will be, I mean, we're still in the thick of it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Tara, what was it like post-production now? Yeah, as far as post, it was, uh, it was actually an amazing experience to, uh, you know, we, we still had maybe five episodes that we were still working on, including the three finale episodes. Um, so some really big, big work that we, uh, figured out some sort of learning curve, got through it. And from, I would say about 15 different locations, we were all, we were, uh, you know, we were on, uh, Trello, we were on, um, all different kinds of chatting devices. Yeah. We were on Slack, um, found some really creative ways to communicate. Our post team was absolutely phenomenal in making sure that everything was flowing the way that we're used to. So we had to get creative, but it was, uh, it, it was incredible with just the, the way that the staff just kind of picked up and ran even from home. Uh, you know, we had editors with children that, you know, would, the hours would become a little different because they had, you know, extra lunch time that they had the kids. And, uh, it was, it was definitely a different dynamic, but it was, uh, phenomenal. And to the end in terms of what we were able to produce, uh, it's, it's for me, a marvel actually, even just looking back to see the, it, it looks like the show that we do in the office. And it's such an incredible testament to everybody's uh, dedication and, and skill and talent. Um, our last question is, you know, we're always, everyone gets really excited at the prospect of Top Chef coming to their market or the favorite city. Like, I, I did want to ask how you settle on a location. I imagine there's sort of tourism boards and tax breaks. And I'm actually really pushing for Atlanta just because A, it's my hometown. B, like everybody shoots everything in Atlanta these days. Yeah. So I can't imagine it's not a hospitable place. And it's also this great food city. So like I'm, I'm sort of a, I'm standing for Atlanta just because like, when are you guys going to get there? But, but how yeah. do you kind of settle on uh, the, the, the locale? It's a number of things, but definitely, um, you know, also has to do with, or at this point, it's like, where haven't we been yet? Um, you know, Major Atlanta, Atlanta, Philadelphia. Yeah. There's a number, there's a number of uh, large cities we haven't been to and they're all over the country. And then the other thing too, we think about is, you know, um, where we've been in the last season two, three before it. And can we bring regional diversity and something different? So we're not, cause you know, a lot of the cuisine in, uh, certain regions tends to be very similar. So you want to break it up a little bit. Yeah, you're not going to do two southern cities back to back. Back to back, right? Um, yeah, so that's kind of a thing, and we want to make sure that we're, you know, kind of hitting all over the country. Because you're right, a lot of people do have a lot of hometown pride about where we go and what we're showing off, and it does bring an extra level of enjoyment and excitement for um, the locals. I think when the show's airing, um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's there's still plenty of places us for us to go. So hopefully, you know, we'll be able to hit them all. Um, is yeah. there any update that you guys can give about next season of Top Chef? 
because I know a lot of people are worried about um, next season and how long a layoff is. Can you guys give us any update? Any hint? Uh, it's still we're still figuring it out. <laughs> um, but I I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's still moving forward. But um, you know, yes, yeah. yeah. Um. Thank you all so much for doing this. We've been yes. wanting to kind of get into the guts of the show with the people who produce it forever. Uh, you are so good at your jobs. I, I mean, I again, we might be biased. This happens to be our favorite show. I, I just I marvel at anyone who can produce something with so much longevity and endurance and like year after year. I mean, you said 2005. I was like, man, it's been 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about like The Simpsons essentially, you know? Um, so thank you for joining us and giving us your time and your insight. And thank you for giving us a great show. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So much fun. Thank you guys. Kevin, when we do season six, we might be, uh, having to call, call you guys again. Um, to, for to consultation, if nothing else. Yes. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, Take us out, Kevin. For Tom Hyberstrom, this is Kevin Arnovitz and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.